All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. One day closer to college football, one day closer to the weekend. No college football this weekend, but we will be able to see some uh, NFL preseason games. And then you know what? We're going to have about six months worth of football here after that. We're going to watch nothing but football for a long time. We're going to have football we can watch, football we can uh, 
see it just about every level. As a matter of fact, I'm already beginning to kind of plot out my high school schedule and where I'm going to go see guys and get pictures on that sort of stuff. Looking forward to uh, Colin and Holmes in week one. Be able to knock out a couple of Mississippi State commitments right out of the gate. Go get some fresh film and some pictures, and, and then we'll see how it goes. And that's the thing about this deal is, you know, when, once we get into the season, once everybody starts playing, we got junior college action of interest to Mississippi State fans on Thursday. We've got high school action of interest to Mississippi State fans on Friday, and then certainly college games on Saturday. And there's so much of a rooting interest in the NFL now with so many former Bulldog players playing professionally. We've got a rooting interest four nights a week. It's a really good thing. We're going to do our best to bring you the latest, greatest, and coolest coverage of Mississippi State football this year over on jeanspage.com. If you're not a member, you darn well should be. We encourage you to go by and join Gene uh, all over the uh, summer baseball recruiting stuff, going all these showcases. Every time I turn around, he's somewhere different. You can uh, get to know the future Diamond Dogs first over on Gene's page. We keep up with all of that. We cover college baseball year-round. Year-round. It's not just an in-season sport for us. We are a baseball school, and we take it very, very seriously. Matter of fact, fall baseball scrimmages will begin here in uh, not not too terribly long, and uh, we'll have uh, Mike Nemeth and Gene out there covering that. So we'll have some information for you on that, all that stuff. But uh, there's just so much going on, even in the summer months. And uh, as crazy as all this has been, you know, with the Omaha trips, and then uh, you know, Paul had to cover. Goodness, Paul Jones had to cover basically all the football camps this year and it was a different deal this year you know we didn't have as many but still that's a lot for one person so Paul had to cover all those football camps because those were all taking place when we were on the road in Omaha you know or we had a super regional here and so you had Omaha you had football camps you had baseball camps baseball showcases we had basketball camps men and women covered all that stuff for you and now now all of that has subsided now everybody is getting ready for the school year i know in our house we'll be uh we'll be making that first trip to school next week it's time it's crazy i remember when we used to go we, we started school uh the monday or i guess the tuesday after labor day i mean we, it was i remember that first year my freshman year at columbia high school I think we started school like on August the 26th, and we talked about how unfair that was. You're supposed to start, you know, that Friday before Labor Day or the, or the Tuesday after Labor Day. And here we were having to go to school at the last week of August. We felt like part of our summer had been robbed. And now kids today are having to go basically the first week of August. You know, it's a much different deal. Kids today have a lot better than we did. All that being said, I don't know how I feel about going to school first of August. Nevertheless, football season's here. We're going to fall into a pretty good routine. And uh, I want to remind you guys, too, if you have not outfitted your family in the latest Maroon and White fashions, you need to do so by visiting our good friends at Campus Bookmark. Stan Ray, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie, they will get you taken care of. When you come to town, go by, see their smiling faces. They will treat you like family because you are a family. And if for some reason you can't make it to town, or perhaps game day is not the best shopping day for you. Visit them online at campusbookmart.net, and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. Promo code is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, 
and that will save you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So I wanted to get into a couple things. We have spent so much time you know, covering baseball, and we, we've talked about you know the, the, the all-SEC football selections and the, you know, the projected finish of the, each division. We've even talked a little bit and forecast a little defensive offense. Again, here's what we've got coming back and that sort of thing. But there are some position battles that are going to be waged pretty early in ball camp. Now, you know, listen, your quarterback obviously is, is the, that's the headline, right? Who is going to be Mississippi State's quarterback? Now, I think all of us kind of feel like, listen, you know, we feel like Keaton Thompson could go win games for us. I mean, if you, if you look at Keaton Thompson's record, he has had two starts under his belt. His very first start, he has to benefit of bowl camp, and then he goes out and then he beats Lamar Jackson head-to-head, high, former Heisman Trophy winner Lamar Jackson head-to-head, outduels him, wins the the, uh, the Gator Bowl, and then comes back and starts the season opener last year and ties an SEC record for touchdowns accounted for. So if you look at that stat line, and listen, and people say, well, Steve, you know, he was so erratic – Passing, you know, one of the things that people forget because the, the longer we, we kind of move on, we forget details of games we, and we begin to kind of fashion certain facts to fit our narrative. You know, people forget that in that ball game when Keaton, I think, had eight consecutive incompletions at one time, at the beginning of that, the first incompletion he had, he banged his throwing hand on an on opponent's helmet. His hand began to swell, and he had some issues, you know. And so I, I just take all of that stat line stuff with a little bit of a grain of salt because that's all the thing everybody talked about after that ball game. Despite the fact that we looked so good offensively, we did have some completion percentage stuff that was a little bit underwhelming. So I'm not making excuses for him, but I do know this. Keaton Thompson is 2-0 and as the Mississippi State starter. There are times he came in last year in relief of Nick Fitzgerald and, and played well. There were times he didn't play well. But that's one of the things you would expect from your backup quarterback. There were a lot of people last year when Nick struggled were calling for Keaton, and Keaton didn't get much of an opportunity but got put in a game against Texas A&M. And I really think all that – I think that that didn't help matters, to be quite honest with you. I think because of the timing of that insertion into that, it really was about motivating Nick Fitzgerald, I believe. And Nick played a good ball game, and we, and we beat A&M. It was a huge game for our season. Nick played well. There were a lot of people excited about how that game went. But uh, we were having some, some issues on offense. But, you know, we, we know now with Tommy Stevens coming in that that's going to be the deal. We're not going to know until about 10 days before we play ULF yet, or Louisiana, whatever you guys want to call them, uh, who the starting quarterback is going to be. I still believe it's going to be Tommy Stevens. I will be absolutely shocked if it's not Tommy Stevens. I think Tommy Stevens starts the first game or two, and then we'll see what happens. And I, I, but here's the, the, the danger in all of that, is I think Tommy Stevens is gifted enough and motivated enough and probably has a big enough chip on his shoulder that if given his opportunity to make it his team, I think he can do that. I think he is a guy. Given the opportunity to build some chemistry with the receivers, the fact that he knows the offense and he has a physical skill set to do what Jim Moore wants him to do, if he gets in there and those first couple ball games, you win those ball games big and you look flashy doing it, it's going to be very difficult to get him out of the lineup. Very, very difficult. 
And, uh, you know, Joe was asked at media days, you know, had they entertained the notion of perhaps uh, redshirt and Keaton? You know, Keaton played as a true freshman. Uh, played last year as a true sophomore. But he has not uh, had a redshirt year. And so if, if he's not going to play in more than four games, you know, maybe that is an option that you consider. But Joe Moorhead said that they have not even broached that subject with him. That's not even in the discussion right now. They're about to have fall camp. And here's the deal. Despite what some people want to believe, Tommy Stevens has only been guaranteed an opportunity and a scholarship. He has not been guaranteed the starting role. And people say, well, he wouldn't have come here. Guys, he wasn't starting where he was. He wasn't the starter at Penn State. He wasn't the starter after the spring at Penn State. And he was told, they let him know. that He was likely not to be the starter this year at Penn State. And so, yeah, he's going to look to make a move. And I think in the end, would he pick Mississippi State over Miami, Ohio? You know, Bowling Green, maybe? And so, I'm a Tommy Stevens fan, but I think many of our many of our fans have kind of accepted this is already a, a done deal, and it simply is not. Joe Moorhead is going to go through a quarterback competition. Now, Keaton Thompson is a guy that has the ability to win some ballgames for you. And so... Tommy Stevens coming in, you might see some elevated play from Keaton Thompson. I think they're going to make each other better, and I think Mississippi State is the beneficiary of that. I think the offense will be better. I think Keaton will be a lot better mechanically. I think he'll work harder on mechanics because he's going to have to. Throwing mechanics have got to be better. And I think Tommy, if nothing else, if, if all he does is elevate the play, if Keaton Thompson, and then teach Garrett Schrader, we've come out way ahead in this deal. But I believe that Tommy's going to be a much bigger part of the puzzle. Other positions to kind of look for. You know, listen, you know, Stephen Gidry had a good year last year. And I looked this number up today to make sure that I was correct. Stephen Gidry showed some flashes last year. Stephen Gidry had 19 catches last year. You know, we have got to do a better job of feeding him the football. We have got to get him involved early. And there was a couple of times we did do that. We got him engaged, and he is one of those kind of guys, too. He is an emotional player. And I think he's a guy that needs to have a touch early, not, not just because of the fact that it gets him going and gets him engaged, but because he is one of your biggest playmakers. You need to get him in. He had some drops last year, too. I'm not, I'm not going to excuse that, okay? But I will say that you know, he's a guy that I think is kind of locked up in a position battle because you begin to look at these numbers. And you know, Remember last year that we didn't rotate a whole lot at receiver. You know, Getsy and Joe both were, you know, kind of like, hey, we're going to run with our guys. And uh, we rotated kind of late or when we'd have an injury. But by and large, we ran the same guys out there over and over and over again. All right, Dedrick Thomas had the fewest number of drops. I don't even know if he had a drop last year. I saw a statistic by Pro Football Focus that said he had the, the, the least number of drops in the Southeastern Conference last year. And so you and I, and I think I'm a, I'm a Dedrick Thomas fan. I don't think we have utilized him enough in his career, and he's had some big catches for us. You know, we don't we don't beat Arkansas without him in 2017. That's just the reality of it. Osiris Mitchell was your leading pass catcher last year. 26 grabs. He was the only wide receiver at Mississippi State, the only wide receiver to have more than 20 catches. Let that sink in for a second. The only one. That, that's got to change. And so when you look at the, the futility at that position, now some of that can be associated with bad quarterback play. 
Okay, you know, and then there were times too where Nick would make the right read and make the right throw, and we didn't make the catch. There's a lot of moving parts to all that. There were times we'd have the right play called and didn't get the protection, or we'd have a drop by a receiver. And so there's enough blame to go around. But this year, you know, we got a brand new quarterback, and so there are going to be some communication issues. But somebody somewhere has got to step up and do some things. You're not going to bring in a grad transfer like Isaiah Zuber that caught over 100 passes the last two years combined and put him on the bench and say, hey, we just want you to go return punts, kid. Not when you not when you, you have the anemic wide receiver group that the Mississippi State has. So Zuber is going to obviously contend for a starting position. With Osiris coming back as your leading pass catcher, Gidry coming back as uh, your leading yardage gainer as a receiver, and Dedrick Thomas coming back, sure-handed Dedrick Thomas, you know, where is Zuber going to factor in? You know, we'll run some four-wide sets and that sort of stuff too, but, you know, he is going to eat up some reps somewhere. You know, you Jesse Jackson was a senior. He, he's moved on, but Jesse was targeted just a few times last year. He was the leading receiver in 2017, and then last year I think he had nine catches. So uh, Zuber is going to need more balls directed his way than Jesse Jackson got last year. And if you recall, uh, Jesse Jackson got a couple of catches uh, on that final scoring drive with the egg ball. So, you know, he, he had only a handful of catches through the, the, the meat of the year. Another offensive position battle I think we're really watching is right guard. You know, we made the move from Darrell Williams, moving from right guard to center. I think we feel really good about Big Stuart Reese at left guard. Tyree Phillips appears to be pretty much settled in at left tackle. We'll see some Charles Cross at times. I don't know that he plays beyond the four games this year. Just don't know. We'll, we'll see how that all develops. The right guard position last year, a lot of people expected Michael Story, you know, to really be in the mix for one of those guard positions. Then we had to play him, some with injury. But then Darian Parker, after the spring, Darian Parker was ahead on the depth chart. So that is something that will linger on into the fall. That competition, you know, Darren Parker's one of those guys, too, real quiet, doesn't have much to say, doesn't call attention to himself. And he's a guy that stayed signed, and a lot of people were kind of, you know, this is kind of a curious signing. I tell you, when we, when we worked him out in camp, he was extremely athletic. Took him a little while to kind of get things settled academically at high school, but, you know, he, he comes in and, and, he's, and he's done a good job. I, as of right now, I expect him to hang on to the position. But that is something that we'll watch in fall. You know, this time last year is when Michael Story ended up you know, being suspended and uh, during fall camp and then uh, was out for, you know, a, a good amount of time. And so that right guard battle is between those two. Then, then you factor in. You've got, uh, you've got some new faces showing up. You know, where will LaQuinston Sharp factor in all this? Is he going to run second team at left? Is he going to be in competition to be a starter at right guard? I mean, that's that's something to consider as well. You know, this is a guy too. You're coming off a broken leg. You know, if you have good depth at guard, do you consider redshirting him? You know, I know that he was he was able to participate in uh, most of the drills for spring and summer, but it's one of those things too. If if he has that year available, that might be an option to consider. I don't think you waste a year of eligibility if he's not going to play meaningful snaps for you because he is a very talented player that has been a bit of a late bloomer. 
Right tackle, we've talked about Greg Allen has flipped out there from left to right. He and Tommy Champion have battled there. Tommy Champion at times last showed some real flashes down the stretch. Don't know if the Outback Bowl was uh, his finest hour. But Tommy Champion's a guy that has played kind of up and down the line. This is the year for him. You know, and he's a guy, if you recall, you know, State recruited him and offered him as a junior in high school at Callaway. A lot of discussion then that it was going to be an Ole Miss State deal. Ended up signing on with State. Made Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game, was an All-State player. And then goes to Cole Lynn, shows up in Mississippi State, red shirts. And so he has been in the Mississippi State conversation now for a long, long time. And there were times we wondered if he would ever really contribute. Well, he did make a contribution last year. Now he's in the mix in that starting position. Greg Allen has those snaps under his belt. He has the starts under his belt. Greg probably a little better equipped to play right tackle than left. Maybe he doesn't have the quickness that maybe Tyree Phillips does. Uh, So that will be interesting. So I think that right side of the line, you've got numbers there and you've got some experience there. So that is helpful. It's not like you're you're throwing a young guy into the mix there. You've got some guys that have been in the program that have been in the SEC trench war for a few years. And so the depth up and down that group you feel really good about. Now, one of the groups that we have talked about a lot that we're all really excited about is a tight end group. Now, Farad Green makes the trip to, um, to media days. I won't say it was a surprise pick, but maybe a little bit. I was told one of the reasons they picked Farad was a reward to him for being such a leader within the football program, that he had done the work, he had been a positive voice in the locker room, and they felt he would be a good ambassador for Mississippi State. I think that's a great decision. You could pick Colin Hill. You could have picked Cam Dantzler. Both of those guys are going to be in the mix and get a lot of headlines this year. But you picked Farad Green. Now, for, there was a, not a lot of catches for tight ends last year, which is a little bit of a surprise. But we're beginning to hear a lot more about Jaquarius Spivey, about what a weapon they expect him to be. You know, Cumbus, of course, split time between uh, baseball and football this spring. I still don't know how he did that. I mean, just I mean, just the physical demands to play one sport at this level, and he's playing two. Uh, I'm sure he was you know, happy to have a little time off. And then as soon as he gets back from Omaha, what does he do? He, he goes right into uh, off-season conditioning for football. So Brad has not had a lot of time to rest. We do expect Big Mule to be a factor in a tight ends race. But how the depth chart kind of shakes loose, I, I, I would say right now, Farad is probably the starter. And the fact that... Um, you know, Spivey and Cumbus, a little more explosive than some of those other guys. I, I think it just, it's going to boil down to packages. Yeah, you know, Dante Jones is a guy that's kind of a forgotten man in this group. You just don't hear much about him. And, and it's not because he didn't produce, because there were times last year he, he made some big catches for State. He grabbed a couple touchdowns last year. And so this tight end group is one of the deeper and more athletic groups on the team. And so how that all shakes loose, we'll see. I'm sure the first snap of the year for Rod Green will be out there. But when we're in more obvious passing-type situations, we want to get a matchup that's favorable to the offense. I think you're going to see Spivey and Drocumbust out there. And one of the things about Spivey is a little more fluid 
than some of the other guys in that group. Some of those guys, even Cumbus to a certain extent, a little bit of stiffness at times, and then that's something he'll work through. Uh, he, he looked good running down those fly balls in the outfield, didn't he? But, uh, but all that being said, Spivey brings an element that I don't know that we had last year, if that makes sense to you. I just think when you get him in the right matchup, when you get him paired up on a linebacker, I think you, I think he can run away from some of those guys. But I also think, too, that because of his physical size, that it's going to be difficult for, uh, for free safeties to defend him. So that'll be interesting. Speaking of interesting, went to Bulldog Burger last night with the family. Had a great time. Had the BLT salad. Got it fried this time. It was great. A lot of excitement when we pick up and go to Bulldog Burger Company. And uh, a lot of new specials. And I'll tell you, I was visiting with our friend Ian at Bulldog Burger yesterday. And, uh, you know, things are great. Yeah, things things are good. You know, it's that's one of the things that's a little different now about Mississippi State and Star than it was maybe 10 years ago. Is we, we get a lot more summertime traffic around here now. A lot of people stay here year-round, a lot more year-round residents. And so you've, you might have been able to get a table with ease this, you know, a couple years ago. It's a busy place, Bulldog Burger Company. Went last night, had the fried pickles and always the spring rolls, always one of the great delicacies of our fine town of Starkville is the spring rolls at Bulldog Burger Company. That's the appetizer you need to get. That That's what will get you going, okay? that That's that's how we do it. Encourage you to go by and find your own favorites. If you're looking for that great restaurant-quality hamburger, the Bulldog is the way to go. You just order the Bulldog, get it, get it dressed how you want it. But that's the great restaurant-quality burger straight ahead. If you want to walk on the wild side, you'll get the mission, the pimentology, the smokehouse, before I left yesterday, Ian shared with me that we had some Boneyard listeners that were in there recently, filled out their comment card, and they said this place was great. It was everything Steve Robertson said that it was. That is wonderful for me to hear because I, you, you guys need to know I'm not just out here whistling Dixie. I wouldn't partner with people that didn't bring you a great value and a great product. Go by and see the folks at Bulldog Air Company, the place in Starkville people go to meet, M-E-A-T. Now, looking defensively, you know, for the most part, secondary, we feel like we're pretty much confident what that's going to shake out to be. We're going to run a lot of nickel, okay, and that's going to be Brian Cole. Jaquarius Landrews will play it free. Uh, C.J. Morgan will be the strong safety. And then corner, you know, Cam Danforth out there. Tyler Williams is not too far behind Maurice Smitherman. Mo has the experience. Mo, a little, Mo doesn't have to think quite as much as Tyler does. We expect Tyler to be a star eventually, and I think he'll be in the rotation. But if, if you really look at it from a physical skill standpoint, you probably would say, okay, if you're picking teams, you're going to pick Cam Dennis or you're going to pick Tyler Williams. They're, they're built kind of in a similar frame. But Smitherman, everybody you talk to about Mo will tell you he is among the hardest-working players on the team. Stays in the weight room, stays in the film room, always trying to find an edge, always trying to find a way to, to – uh, sharpen us all a little bit and so I don't think there's much competition there but with that second group Tyler Williams expect him to, to play uh, a good bit this year one of the names that I'm hearing privately is the guy that has really kind of come on is Corey Charles and you recall you know when State signed him uh, I think out of North Florida Christian School you know a lot of people thought he was going to be a slot receiver he had a nice offer sheet 
he hadn't really found a home position-wise. And then last year, he really gave it a go and, and really and it didn't play a lot, but when he played, he played well. And so he is a guy that could play, you know, maybe find a home second team. And then when you look at some of those younger guys, you know, Landon Guidry is a guy that would probably stay at safety. Uh, but, you know, you've got you know, some young guys that need to kind of come on. You know, Jalen Reed and Furge uh, redshirted last year. They played a little bit. They'll be guys who'll have to kind of get in the mix and, and do some big things. Jerry and Jones is a guy, too. I, I would not rule him out. You know, he's just one of those guys that you look at him and say, okay, this kid just has the it factor and uh, could be a guy that, that factors for some playing time this year. We'll just have to see. You feel good about that front line. The second line is where you're kind of figuring some, some things out. You've got some young talent there, guys like Martin Emerson. Those guys are expected to be good players, but it's just going to take a little while for them uh, to kind of get going. And so feel pretty confident about that. And, of course, linebacker, you know, Errol Thompson, probably Willie Gay, your starters with Leo Lewis and uh, Aaron Berlin, those guys kind of rub it in. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you look at the defensive line part of things, you know, we're all, we, we all tell ourselves, okay, we feel good at the end. Okay, but who's going to start? Well, it's a good question. If I had to call it today, I would say Chauncey Rivers and probably Marquis Spencer start. And then Kobe Jones, of course, played, you know, a great deal. A great deal. You know, we'll see what happens with Aaron Odom. You know, he, he's a guy that uh, you know, will be in the mix a little bit. Uh, it's just there's going to be some opportunity for some younger guys to get some snaps this year. Whether that's more than the four games kind of remains to be seen. But, you know, you feel good about the numbers you got at some spots, but uh, it's really – when you get in deeper into the rotation, that's where you kind of begin to question yourself. Fletcher Adams is a guy we expect to play a lot as a weak side defensive end. I don't think there's any question he'll be very much involved there. And then you think about that defensive tackle spot. Now, outside of Lee Autry, you know, what, what do you really have there? You've got a bunch of young guys there. You know, James Jackson spent some bowl time practice working offensive line. I think ideally he'd like to be on the offensive line, but is needed more on, on defensive line. He'll be in rotation there at defensive tackle. And then from there, it's these young guys. Jaden Crumbody is a guy that everybody continues to talk about, about how well he played in, in, in a post-spring review. When they went back and reviewed the spring film, things kind of changed when Crumbody was in there. It was kind of like he was a glue guy. Even when he wasn't making the play, he was enabling other people to make the play. Fabian Lovett's a guy obviously we think a lot of. I think he'll eventually end up on the nose. And then there's Nathan Pickering probably kind of cut from that same cloth. Cam Young's a guy that uh, continue to hear good things about him, but you know, he's still pretty raw. But, uh, you know, we've got numbers and talent there, but those are the things we're really watching. How they settle that too deep at defensive tackle, that's probably the biggest question on defense. You know, I think we all feel like, you know, passing downs, you know, we'll go uh, we'll go three down linemen and probably even slide Chauncey Rivers in the middle. Probably run the old Prowler package and just put you know, your three best pass rushers on the field and just say, hey, go sick them. But you feel really good about that. Now, punting, we hadn't talked about this much. You know, last year, Cody Schecksnyder and uh, Tucker Day both kind of split time and then down the stretch the last five games of the year, Tucker Day did all the punting. Had a good game against Ole Miss. 
had a big game in the Outback Bowl, averaged over 50 yards a punt, had a long of 70. But then you bring in Corliss Waitman. This is a guy before that has a relationship with Joey Jones, played for him at South Alabama, uh, was, you know, a great performer down there. We almost kind of got by last year without having great punting. There were times it was pretty mediocre, and that's what necessitated the decision to go ahead and bring in uh, Corliss Waitman. And so I, I don't think there's anything right now that, that can be assured. I, I think all of these guys are in the mix. But when you begin to look at the fact, it, it's like we talk about Tommy Stevens. Tommy Stevens knows what Joe Moorhead wants out of the quarterback. Corliss Waitman knows what Joey Jones wants out of a punter. The other guys may know it. They may not be able to execute it to the same level. And so that's an interesting battle that, that might get lost in all of the gloss about other positions. That's going to be a big part of things. Now, we, we feel really good, you know, about Scott Goodman as a, as a kickoff guy. Did a great job last year. We feel good about Jace Crispin as a field goal kicker. But the punting, that was the one thing last year. Punting and, and, you know, punt returns last time was kind of an adventure. And, uh, you know, Brian Cole did a great job for us as a kick return until he got hurt. But uh, that's something that perhaps Isaiah Zuber can be a part of as well. I, I, to be honest with you, I like defensive players on the kickoff team. A couple reasons why. Number one, you got guys like Brian Cole. They're such great athletes. And if Brian breaks a return for 55 yards, he can go to the sidelines and get some rest. You know, you're not going to expect him to go right back out there and, and play wide receiver. And so you're not taking one of your best weapons out of the first couple plays of the drive because he's winded. But uh, those are some battles that we kind of got our eyes on. You know, obviously they're the ones that are a little more heralded, like your quarterback, you're going to pay closer attention to that. But how this defensive tackle thing shakes loose is going to be important. Now, the latest about Alan Love is that it is it is at best 50-50. And there was a time that we felt really good about this because, you know, hey, this is could be – and it still may work out that way. It's, it's either a yes or no proposition. It's not going to be an opinion poll type matter. But if there was going to be a medical hardship waiver granted, this is the perfect case for it. It's a guy moving closer to home. Uh, mom really has a condition. And so all of the, the conditions are there to ensure the waiver. But with the NCAA kind of cracking down after they, they had some crazy, some crazy rulings, and they're trying to kind of get a better hold on that, as some people kind of wrongfully suggested in the national media that, that you know, the, the free agency era of college football was here. That's incorrect. In fact, the committee is actually going the other direction. And there, there are many schools out there, many sports out there, that don't have the mandatory one-year residency requirement. The committee is suggesting that that becomes a policy across the board. So rather than have fewer schools or fewer programs, that allow for an immediate transfer. There are more schools now that are kind of they're, they're going to have. Pardon me. There are more programs that uh, they're going to have to have the one-year sit-out. And that's one of the things I've always felt like there has to be some uniformity to all of that. Either everybody has to sit a year or nobody has to sit a year. But the actual trend behind the scenes, when you talk to people that are involved in NCAA legislation, you talk to members, membership, you talk to decision makers in college football, they'll tell you. This is not what the member institutions want. They do not want free agency in college football, so they're going to take steps to limit that. And so as a result of that, we might see some of these waivers that are pending right now be held a little more conservatively, whereas it look, it got really, really wild 
and easy earlier in the process. Now that we, we might see kind of an overcorrection of sorts, and Alan Love might get caught up in that. Again, we don't know how they're going to rule. Again, it seemed to be a very straightforward deal. Very straightforward deal, but you just simply don't know how they're going to rule. And again, a lot of optimism early on because, in fact, it was very straightforward. But one of the things that I have learned is that uh, if there is a way, it's just like when uh, you know Bracky Brett found a way last year to get Andres when I was a hunter cleared for immediate play last year. Okay, that that was the step that Mississippi State took. That wasn't where the NCAA just said, "Hey, listen." Let's just go ahead and get this thing done for you. No, nobody was going to do a favor for Mississippi State, but because Mississippi State found the loophole, I guess you would say, or found the legislation to support her immediate eligibility, they're able to get that done. Now, Alan Love's situation might actually be, you know, as straightforward or more straightforward than that one. And so you better believe Mississippi State has put their best foot forward and made their case as best they could. And so at this point, we're going to prepare not to have Alan Love, and then if we get him eligible for this year, then that's a bonus. You know, He's already on campus working through drills and all that kind of stuff, so he's already a Mississippi State Bulldog. He's already signed. He's already here. He's already a part of the team, already had his locker issued and all that kind of stuff. But whether or not he plays this year kind of remains to be seen. So I think at this point we just need to plan on him not being part of the program this this year. And then if we do get him, then that's just, uh, that's just a bonus, right? He played last year some at Louisville and so uh, it'll bode well for the future now one of the things that I mentioned earlier in the week about uh, we're, we're kind of running out of scholarships because we got 23 commitments one of the things I want to remind people too okay there, there will be an adjustment or two but Cole Smith from LSU we're going on scholarship Mississippi State in January so that's one of your t- grants for for 2020 so when you look at that commitment list go ahead and add one more and so when you've got 23 commitments now, you go ahead and exp- count 24. So you've got one spot left. Again, there'll be some adjustments. I think you'll probably end up taking another linebacker and probably another offensive lineman. Um, but we'll see how that all shakes loose. But understand, when you see those numbers from people, oh, because there's all every year there's all these people that get involved that don't know recruiting, all these writers that get out here and try to explain, oh, Mississippi State sanctioned itself by not using the full 25, even if we're up against the full 85. You know, last year on signing day, people were all upset. We didn't use all of our grants. And then, man, how great was it to have those extra scholarships to be able to sign Alan Love, Tommy Stevens, Isaiah Zuber, and Corliss Waveman. Right? So there's always a plan in place. And you know, this year, Mississippi State's putting themselves in a situation not going to have a lot of room for grad transfers next year. But the best thing about that is I don't think we're in a position where we're going to need them next year like we did this year. Completely different deal. So we'll see how it all rolls out. But I I, expect, I suspect that we're going to be in great shape. Now, before I get out of here, I'll tell you, there's a few. You guys, you know, I, I never know what interests you. You know, there's, I always tell myself if it's interesting to me, chances are it's interesting to you. That might not always be the case because I know that I listen to a lot of music that you guys have never listened to. Uh, but all that being said, when it comes to Mississippi State, I never know what's going to move the needle. There are things that I get excited about, and I think, man, this, this is a great story. We'll get, you know, we'll get a ton of reads here, and uh, it just does okay. And at other times, you write something, and you, you don't think it's a big deal, and people absolutely love it. I have had more messages, more texts, more phone calls, more emails, and, and which I declared email bankruptcy years ago. But, um, you know, you get an email every now and again, and there are so many people that have said, hey, Steve, 
all these questions about the Jackie Sherrill case. And uh, I'm going to spend a couple minutes and share a couple things with you here that I think are important because I think some of our younger fans, you know, weren't around when all this stuff was going on. And so let me give you the Reader's Digest version here pretty quick, and I'll, I'll fill you in on a couple more things that are going on. So basically what happened in the state of Mississippi, and uh, when Mississippi State won the SEC West in 1998, and went on to play uh, Tennessee in this Southeastern Conference title game. It was a big year for us, but it was also a turning year uh, for the folks at Ole Miss. So we win the West at Vault Hemingway Stadium in a 28-6 game. Uh, it really was not a competitive game in that second half. Ole Miss couldn't do anything, had to play uh, David Morris at quarterback, and he threw his only touchdown pass of his college career to Tim Nelson of Mississippi State. Uh, so, and if you missed the humor there, the only touchdown he threw was the pick six. He threw to Tim Nelson to Mississippi State, final score of the game. But we're able to parade the Golden Egg around Vault Hemingway Stadium. That did not sit well with some of the uh, fat cats at Ole Miss. And so, at that point, whether it be an administrative-led thing or just one of those things, maybe the Ole Miss bourgeoisie decided or some boosters took it upon themselves and there were all these old, what people thought were password-protected message boards and that kind of stuff. But anyway, the bottom line was something had to be done about Mississippi State and Jackie Sherrill. And so over the course of the next couple of years, there are all these people that, that uh, were more than happy to, uh, to pass along tips, you know, real or imagined. They would pass on anything they heard about Mississippi State, the NCAA. There were one or two people involved that... Uh, that were that were kind of a conduit. You know, they would gather information and then pass it along, you know, to NCAA investigators. And the case really wouldn't go anywhere for a long time. I mean, just in, it, there there was never any traction. There just it just never could get off the ground. And then the NCAA they, they changed investigators, and Rich Johannigmeyer became the investigator. And so Rich Johannigmeyer had the uh, the reputation as kind of being the big game hunter for the NCAA. He was involved in very, several high-profile cases, and um, prior to the Mississippi State case, he had the Alabama case. He was a big part of that case involving the uh, the Albert Means case. And for those of you that don't know who Albert Means was, Albert Means was one of the top defensive tackle prospects in the country out of Memphis, and uh, was pretty much the subject of a bidding war. And just about everybody in the Southeastern Conference was in on that deal, but the only team to face sanctions were Alabama because they're the ones that signed him. It was all this stuff, you know, about you know Logan Young and you know the, all these people, Roy Adams, you know, Roy Adams. Uh, you, for those of you that remember, Roy Adams used to post over on VolQuest under the name of Ten Stud, and when he uh, had to appear for his deposition, if I remember correctly, he wore a uh, orange jacket, volunteer orange jacket, and a uh, a Daniel Boone uh, raccoon skin cap. I think that's right. But anyway, it was a, it was a wild time in the Southeastern Conference, and so Albert Means' situation was so wild. And there were again, there were several people involved in this thing. But uh, some, his high school coaches were involved, and some, there was some money exchanged hands, and somebody got shorted out of their share of the money. And the next thing you know, you had these coaches giving interviews with the Memphis Commercial Appeal. It ended up being a huge story nationally. You had this Memphis area kid who would basically uh, was part of, you know, he, he didn't receive the benefits 
that uh, perhaps some of his coaches did. And so as a result, it was a huge case. And you can always go look that up. And so, but uh, Joe Hanekmeyer was involved in all of that and uh, really cut some corners. And uh, ultimately, Alabama goes on probation. Albert Means transfers to Memphis. is ruled eligible to play immediately. Uh, but things changed and, and in a very negative way. And uh, the case ended up going to trial. Ronnie Cottrell filed a lawsuit, won the lawsuit, uh, named several people involved in all of that, basically a defamation-type deal. Uh, so Cottrell wins. So Johannic Meyer was involved in all that. And if you mention that name in Tuscaloosa, a lot of people, that, that will draw some attention because as bad as we felt about it, they did it as well. And so as soon as he got done there, he comes to Mississippi State. And uh, that's when things kind of changed because then all of a sudden they tried to ramrod some things I mentioned in the last show. There were a lot of things they did to kind of cut corners and really kind of violated their own legislation in their attempt to get to, you know, to kind of get Jackie Sherrill. And so after that case, uh, Joe Hanekmeyer was involved in the USC case that's the Reggie Bush case with Todd McNair. That case also was litigated. A jury found against McNair that he was later granted a new trial uh, that will be coming up. And so I say all that to say this. is pretty much every time Johannic Meyer was involved in something, it was a major figure or a major player in college football. And then there were, let's just say, some questions about how things were handled and then as a result, these cases ended up in court. Now, anybody can sue anybody for anything. That doesn't mean the case is going to go forward. But these cases have all actually gone forward. And so uh, it's interesting to me how so much has changed when it's come to NCAA reform, and we're, but we're still back to this. And so, and people have asked, too, about the whole the Zena Reb aspect of it, uh, you know, from what I understand, in the end, uh, they settled their portion of the case, and, and uh, she was scheduled to testify along with several other people. But her husband is a guy, too, that's kind of mentioned in connection for the uh, the chancellorship at, at Ole Miss uh, as a potential candidate. You know, and, and to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know how realistic those chances are, but I think it's rather interesting that uh, as deep as, as, as she was, is uh, his wife was in all of this. I think that makes for a very interesting uh, juxtaposition when you think about the rivalry between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. There were a lot of people back in those days. It's like when you think about what happened with the Hugh Freeze case and how so much of that was shared on social media. Well, it was a lot easier back in those days in the early 2000s because we didn't have Facebook that was open to everybody. I think only college kids had it back then. But you, we didn't have what is now considered social media. Everybody went to message boards. That's all there was. And, and there weren't many of those. There weren't a lot of independent message boards back in those days. And so everybody was kind of tied into that. It became like a soap opera. You had chat rooms. You had message boards. And that's where everybody kind of gleaned their information. So anytime anybody heard anything, it went on those message boards. And then those talk radio folks who were looking for a story or a topic or whatever – because it didn't like it is today. You know, nowadays, you know, they'll have two or three callers. But back in the day, you know, the, all of those shows, you know, like Southern Sports Tonight and, and others, if you find them when, when, um, when it was like a real show, uh, it was very caller-driven. And so people would then read something on these message boards, and then they would call Southern Sports Tonight with Scott McKinney and, and, 
or they would call Paul Feinbaum, and they would share these things. And so that's how the information was kind of disseminated around the Southeastern Conference. And there were all these other message boards, you know, like today there's the SEC rant, you know, we had Access Atlanta back then and things like that. And so then what would happen is then it would jump from one board to another, and people would take screenshots and make copies, and, and all that information kind of came from one or two places, and a lot of those were attributed uh, to these folks at Ole Miss. And uh, by and large, most of that stuff was, was completely inaccurate. And so if you go back, when you have some time, and uh, there's going to be a lot more to read here as we get into college football season, but if you ever go look and read that final report, and you'll read you know, what the, uh, the Committee on Infractions chair had to say about how the Mississippi State case was well short of what was advertised and that much of the paranoia and much of the uh, hysteria surrounding the case all originated with these old Miss message board posters. And so uh, I, I think it's interesting that our, our younger folks, you know, people say, well, you know, it's a shame what happened with this. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. You, you may have heard your grandmother say that, but it's true is that everything kind of works in cycles. And there are always these fans that have sources and that sort of stuff, and they share these things. And people have wanted to say, well, Steve, I didn't know about the Jackie Sherrill case. And uh, there were many people that thought he would never go to trial. It took us 16 years to get to this point. And now they've settled the case. And we'll never know for how much. But there's a small measure of victory here for Mississippi State folks because of the fact that a lot of these allegations were baseless to begin with. But Rich Johannigmeyer convinced Mark Jones, who was, the I guess, the uh, director of enforcement at the time for NCAA, that, hey, we can make these charges stick. The problem was that they, they weren't true. There were some things Mississippi State was guilty of. I'm not going to sit here and say that that, that 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 wasn't the case. There were some things that we did, but it was mainly incidental. And, and regardless of what people say about the old Miss case, well, we, we had a guy sleeping on a, a coach's couch. You know, listen, you also had people fixing the ACT. You had people uh, making arrangements for guys to go uh, – attend the Ed Center, out-of-state players to come here. Listen, I, I've talked to people. I interviewed some of those players for Flim Flam, okay? Many of them I didn't quote in the book. And so there's a big difference between the two cases. But the bottom line is, and it's one of the things that I said years ago when the old Miss investigation started, once the NCAA decides they're going to get you, once they put you in the crosshairs, they're going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And the main thing you got to do is do your best to stay out of the crosshairs. And that's what my hope is that Mississippi State will be able to do that. Now, when Dan Mullen was the coach at Mississippi State, and this is one of the things that I'll share because of the fact we're all family here, Dan Mullen was absolutely allergic to any of that nonsense when it came to NCAA stuff. If there was ever any reports about malfeasance out there, Dan would just stop recruiting the kid. You know, once they got once they got down to the, found out that things weren't what they should be, he would just stop recruiting the player. You know, people forget, you know, the Angelo Miranda stuff. All that popped up and he was using somebody else to kind of help 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 him uh you know, recruit Will Redmond. And then as soon as it was uncovered and he was fired. And and you can question the wisdom of having a rookie coach up recruiting in Memphis, you know, because Memphis is a, it's a fast city, man, especially when it comes to recruiting. But by and large, you know, Dan Mullen ran a strict record of compliance here at Mississippi State. 
And, uh, and, and I know because I saw a lot of this up close and personal and heard, heard many of the stories. You know, Dan just Dan was getting a huge paycheck from Mississippi State. He was not going to allow someone else to jeopardize that. That's just how he lived his life. That's how he ran his program. He was not going to allow somebody else to influence his ability to coach his football team, whether it be a booster, whether it be a coach that uh, – you know, tries to cut corners. That's just not who Dan was. And, and people used to joke about, you know, Mullen having his little mafia, you know, his little group, all, the, you know, Hevesy and Billy. And that's the one of the main reasons why is because Dan knew he could trust those people. He knew what they would do. He knew there weren't going to be any surprises with them. You can make the, the argument, you know what, a lot of those guys weren't great recruiters, and, that, and that's fair. But you knew they were going to do things with integrity. Look at Dan's record. And so as we begin to kind of look back, it's, it was the wild, wild west for a time here in the SEC West. You know, Alabama going down, Mississippi State going down, Ole Miss, Tennessee, guilty of sin and some other matters, uh, accused of being part of a quid pro quo that Rich Johannigmeyer was a big part of, that basically as long as Tennessee and Ole Miss helped Alabama, helped them get Alabama, Mississippi State, nobody was ever done the wiser. Go, if you go Google Tennessee, T. Martin, NCAA stuff, and read some of that stuff, you'll be absolutely shocked that they got away with all that. And so I don't know that we'll ever prove that any of that stuff was a quid pro quo, but, man, it sure it sure seems that way. Well, folks, my hope is this is the last time we talk about this stuff for a while because uh, Friday is the first day of football practice, and so we will get into some things Friday, kind of look at some headlines and kind of look at where we're going, probably do a mailbag show on Friday, and then we'll have uh, Monday, we'll have uh, – Joe Moorhead and Keaton Thompson and other players, we're going to be right back into the media thing. So the dog days of summer are almost over, and uh, I know you guys are ready. I am ready. It is time for college football. It will be here before we know it. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.